Hello, everyone. This is the PM versus PMM podcast, where we talk about products and product roles. My name is Aditi. And my name is Arjun. And Aditi, the NBA playoffs started, and we already have grown men stomping on other grown men. Did you see this Draymond thing? Are you into basketball at all? Even I am not very into sports in general, so but this sounds very interesting. <laughs> Basically, Draymond Green, a very big personality, got his like foot caught up, like some players fell to the floor, mm -hmm. and in an effort to get his foot out, he also made like a very dirty play, and he stomped right on Domon Domas Sabonis's chest, and it it's bad. And oh, somehow no. the NBA is like, oh, I don't know if we should suspend him. People don't think it's as bad. I am in the category that thinks it's really bad. Anyway, today we are talking about pricing strategy framework. We're continuing our pricing series. This is the second of two. So if you missed the last one, check it out. And we're also bringing up AI again for our news topic, talking about how Italy is banning ChatGPT, Canada is investigating, and other countries are in on the ChatGPT, what should we do as well. So Dati, could you please introduce our topic? What exactly is a pricing framework and pricing strategy? Yes. So pricing, like we talked last week, is a very complicated topic. And we started off with the basic research that you need to do when it comes to thinking about what your pricing needs to look like and what are the basic ideas and research that you need to do to understand, okay, so this is what the market looks like this is what my product is and what are the various values that you see so yeah value-based pricing we yeah, value-based pricing is what we talked about last time and then today we're taking it a bit further and we're talking about what are some basic frameworks that you can use to really categorize your competitive pricing that you're seeing in the market mm -hmm. and your own value and how you can really turn that value into numbers right because okay. at the end of the day you need to charge your customer a certain amount so at the so at the end of last episode, I kind of thought like, okay, cool, this is like how we figure out our pricing. And then it's just a bunch of like guessing and checking to figure out what the numbers should be. And this is kind of like how to do that guessing and checking, or it's like a more structure to that guessing and checking. It is guessing and checking at the end of the day. Pricing has always been around, especially in B2B SaaS. It's definitely guessing and checking and understanding how your customers respond to something. Mm -hmm. um, there's different frameworks that you can use, like, which is the point of this episode where you can really give structure. You know how you did in science, like you want to guesstimate what you're doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice word. Word of the day. Yes. Guesstimate. So what's your favorite framework or like, what's one of them that really works that you think really works? Okay. So when you're doing a data analysis of like, what your pricing needs to look like. You want to, because we talked about value-based and we talked about collecting the data around what your pricing needs to look like. So we want to organize our data and populate it on a data scorecard so you can understand what the complete overarching picture you're seeing when it comes to your data analysis and your data collection. And then you could summarize that data input and you quantify those elements as considered and create the analysis, right? So you summarize and then you analyze the information that you've gotten. And then from there, you calculate basic business metrics, such as revenue accounts, users churn, all that fun stuff mm -hmm. that any business would use to calculate pricing, right? Yeah. 
And then you come up with a basic number. And do, then we go into the three different kinds of pricing that we have. One is just cost plus margin. And then the other is competitive. Uh, so you use the average plus a little bit of Intel based on what you're selling to price your product. So I think I'm seeing the picture here. On one hand, we have our value-based pricing data that we collected. And on the other hand, we have our internal cogs and costs and projections of revenue. And so we have these two kind of vague numbers to, and we're looking for something in the middle for our pricing. Yes. Is that, okay, that makes very sense. It's very rational. The last one is value-based which is you do value based per, based on the perceived value and willingness to pay of customers. And these three act like a portfolio, right? So like, for example, if we are taking a negative margin on the cost side, then it's because we have a strategy for the competition side and et cetera. Like they, they kind of work in, in relation to each other, I assume. Yeah. So there's different times within your company growth that you would want to use different kinds of pricing when it comes to oh, okay. cost base, which usually tends, which tends to be the lowest pricing that you will be doing. Mm -hmm. in your product. That will be when you're trying to do penetration. So when you're trying to get your first 10 or 15 or 20 customers, right? Yeah. You're, trying to get, you're basically trying to get them to just use the product. But you also obviously don't want to be giving it out for free. So you're doing it at the lowest possible price that you can. And that really helps you get your initial customers to start creating. Traction. Yeah, start creating traction. And from there, you will most likely price up as you create and get more customers. Then you will go to maybe competitor base, which is neutral. So like you're in the market, you're around the same price as everyone else that's in your competitive landscape. And then when you start going into enterprise customers, that's when you start doing value-based. So you try to show them, this is how much money I'm going to help you save. This is how much hours that you're going to be saving, stuff like that, right? And then you really show them the value of the product that they're going to be buying from you. And that's when, so you have a high dollar price, but you also have a high, high value that you can show them. Like, this is what you're getting from the product. Yeah, that's like a premium thing. So... So hold up. So you don't use these different pricing strategies together. You kind of use each one depending on what you need at the time. That's not necessarily true. You can definitely use them together because depending on what kind of product you have, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're doing larger deals, then you might want to be looking at what sort of customer you're trying to acquire what their needs are stuff like that and maybe your pricing will change based on what you're trying to do for that customer and uh, maybe an enterprise customer you can charge a little bit more but something like a startup where you're just trying to get them to use it and you want to grow with them they start with a lower pricing and then you grow it right mm -hmm. okay cool and then i didn't understand where does skimming fit into pricing strategy cost competition and value-based so for value-based pricing, that's really when you're, you're really, you have already differentiated yourself. You're in the market, you're established. And when a customer comes, they have a certain idea of like what you provide and mm -hmm. all the great things that you do. They've probably heard it from other people or something like that. So they're not really, when it comes to value-based pricing, you're not really competing with your competitors at a price level. You're competing with them at a value level.
Mm-hmm. Like, like what you can, what features you have, like <clears throat> is the return on investment based on, from your product to a different one, stuff like that. And that's skimming in the sense you're closing fewer deals, but they're bigger deals. Yeah. Could you, Aditi, I have an interesting question. All I can think of right now is kind of like how Uber used competition-based pricing to really undercut everyone. But then we as consumers got really used to cheap Ubers and now they're trying to do cost-based or value-based pricing. And we're like, nah, this isn't what how we value this because we're used to valuing something else. So how does that kind of fit into this pricing strategy discussion? So this pricing strategy is definitely very specific to B2B SaaS. Okay. Um, when it comes to consumer-based products, you really are using pricing as your leverage because the individual consumer is definitely looking at the dollar value of what they're buying. Right. Um, yeah. While as an enterprise, we'll, pro- we'll definitely be looking at the hour value of what you're providing. You're right. That makes sense. That makes sense. But And the same... And because of that, the same market factors won't play in for B2B that Uber had, right? Like the businesses won't get used to low prices or maybe they could and it opens up a chance for competition. But in general, I can see myself being like, oh man, the fees on this have gone up, but I'm getting so much value on it. I have to pay it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a feature-based thing where say you use the example of like google server services and aws right uh-huh. there may be different reasons why someone would choose google versus amazon and that purely can be based on what their needs are what their technical needs are right maybe something around when they have lower needs or they don't have as much need for advanced servers, they might go for Google while they realize that when they're starting to scale, AWS tends to be a better option, right? Mm. Or performance between the two can vary based on how much load you're giving a server. So stuff like that can be a bigger reason why someone chooses one product or the other. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Thank you, Aditi. I have another question. As a product manager, I'm building out the product. My focus is always on the features. So I got my features A, B, and C done. I'm ready to do D and E and F. And as I'm launching these next three features, does my pricing change because I'm offering more? Or do I instead move between the different strategies? So, okay, now I've released... D and E, I need to move over to value-based pricing? Or is it more like, okay, I've released E, so that means my costs have changed, so that means the pricing has changed. And now I've released F, again, that happens. It depends on how big that feature is and what the value of that feature is. So maybe you want to change the price not because you've added that one feature, but you've added five new features in the past like six months. And now you decide that those five features total have added so much value, mm-hmm. right? And now you're thinking, okay, I need to start charging more. Yeah, exactly. So when you start doing the charging more part, that can get very complicated too, because past customers have been paying a certain amount of money. I was going to say, <laughs> what do we tell customers? Like I was thinking it might look like, hey, you're getting like, we're, we're, increasing our pricing you can stay at or you can go to the lower tier and lose out on these features 
or you can pay this higher price. Like, is that a messaging that we would we would send our cost, our users? So when you think about increasing pricing, it depends on what your response is on the current pricing. And say you do an A-B test on new pricing, right? You talk to a couple customers and you're like, maybe I want to do this kind of pricing for this customer. And I want to do this kind of, and I want to introduce a new kind of pricing and see what the response is for another prospect that you're talking to. So you start gauging what this new pricing might look like and how what kind of response you're getting. Or maybe you have realized that your margins are just not there for the current pricing and you need to re rethink what your pricing is going to look like or so, something like that. So when you look at increasing pricing for existing customers, there's a few different ways you can do it. So it's called grandfathering when you want to include the same customer at a certain price or maybe increase it at a slower rate than new customers, right? Mm -hmm. So you have permanent grandfathering where you're talking about whatever price we've talked about today is going to be your forever price, right? Mm -hmm. That is what you're going to pay for as long as you're my customer. That can be really effective when you're trying to close early customers where they see like you're going to be developing, but they're going to get new features for the same price. Maybe that's a tactic that you want to use to acquire initial Cause, customers. Yeah, because it's like get it now because the price is going up. Right? Yeah, exactly. The next one is you do a grandfather discount, which is basically I'm increasing the, I'm actually increasing the price this much for new customers, but you're going to get a certain discount. Yeah. That new price. So they mm -hmm. see like new customers are getting this same thing for this much, but I'm getting it for this much less. So that really creates this perceived value in their head that yes, I'm getting the same thing for a lesser amount than others. They see the value in paying a little bit more than they already have been paying. It lightens the blow, right? Exactly. The last one is like I was saying before, cadence pride is increases. So you slowly increase their price to the current price, right? Whether it's over a quarter or a year, a couple of years, whatever, based on how much you're increasing the price and mm -hmm. what they're willing to take on, you negotiate that time period in which you increase the price to what you are doing now. What do you mean negotiate? So like each customer gets, has so a if you have, it depends on how big the customer is, right? Yeah. How big the customer is will change how much negotiating power they have based for what you're offering them, right? Mm -hmm. Say if it's like one of your biggest paying customers, they're going to have a lot more power over how much they're going to pay you, right? While some, maybe a smaller company might be like, has less power to be able to be like, no, I'm not going to pay this much, or I'm going to only pay this much over a course of like two years or something. Yeah. So you, you talk to them based on what their value is to you and you talk to them like this is the price that we are charging for new customers now and at some point within a certain period of time we need to start charging you this much too right yeah maybe yeah. they'll rebuttal with a different timeline or a different price or whatever and then you that salesperson and or customer success re representative will have that negotiation with that customer to understand what works best for the both of you yeah cool thank you so much Aditi. it makes a lot of sense because it's it's really a two-step process one you decide what your pricing should be or your new pricing should be and then two you figure out how to grandfather or get your existing customers onto the the new price 
So for, for step one, you use these pricing strategies, competition, cost, value-based. For step two, you then negotiate with customers and there's a, a whole other set of, of strategies for getting then the existing customers on the new pricing. Yeah, and when it comes to B2B pricing, one of the biggest, I was actually surprised when I read this. In B2B pricing, one of the biggest things that you need to keep in your in your plate is discounts. It's not it's not the same tactic of discounting as it is in B2C or consumer. Uh-huh. The point of discounts is that you have to you want the customer to feel especially when it's an enterprise or a bigger customer, right? The customer to feel like their pricing model is unique to their needs. So, you tailor your pricing based on what they're going to be using. Maybe there's some features that they don't need or there's certain features that they need additional that you're going to be working to create for them or something like that, right? So based on the different needs that an individual enterprise customer has, you're going to be discounting or negotiating that price. So discounting in B2B SaaS is not necessarily just cutting the price. It's about negotiating both ways about what your services are and what you're going to be providing for them and what they're going to be willing to pay for those services. Cool. Thank you so much, Aditi. I'm really looking forward to learning more about pricing in the next iteration of our pricing series. All right, on to our news topic. So a couple of weeks ago, Italy temporarily banned ChatGPT. And their claim is that they don't really know where the data is sourced from. There's lots of public information on the internet, but not all public information, just because information is public doesn't mean it should be used in these models where who knows what can happen to it using the use of personal information in these models are not ideal. What do you think about this issue? That the that We're pretty tech forward people. So banning technology is not really with our Western values. Oh, yeah. Banning ChatGPT altogether, even if it's a temporary ban like Italy did, I don't think is the way to go, which is which is why I agree with how the American government has been handling large language models and how they've rebuttaled that letter about AI with proposal for some type of regulation on it at the framework level, which is which is interesting because I was listening to this podcast about it and they basically said that these are a bunch of politicians who know nothing about what's going on and this AI and they're trying to regulate it. It's going above their heads and it's really not what their what their expertise is. Mm-hmm. So when you when you don't know about something and you decide to do something about it, whether it's a ban or you try to regulate it, I don't think you can be very effective. You have to really understand what the framework and what this AI really is to be able to actually do something about it. Yeah, that makes sense. I I do think, though, that like there is really good points here about like transparency. For example, one of the stories that one of the articles I was reading cited was that one of like a mayor in Australia or something ChatGPT said that he was a part of a very serious scandal involving, I think, uh, some sex workers. And it's just, it wasn't true at all. Like, he's the public figure. 
and ChatGPT is like sprouting lies about him that can do like really terrible things to his political career and his like livelihood. And that's not cool either. So the fact that like ChatGPT does see all that public information and then like makes stuff up, like maybe he has the same name as somebody who got cited in a court case, you know, and, and that's not okay. And so I think like inaccurate data on people is is really dangerous. But but this kind of makes me more excited for Google Bard, actually, because Google is the king at knowledge graph. And so perhaps Google's LLM can combine Google's knowledge graph with it and create like a lot better, more a more effective experience rather. Yeah. Regulating the data that goes into a, a machine learning algorithm has always been a problem that we've been dealing with. I feel like and it's definitely something that needs to be kept an eye on because I remember before when we had other AI models that came out and we maybe like for the example of like a few years ago, we had the ATS scandal where um, ATS used hiring practices that recruiters have been doing. They trained them on it and it turned out that they had certain biases based on gender or religion or whatever. And that was just exemplified when the ATS started to use those algorithms on filtering out candidates. So yes, it's about inaccurate information, but we also have to acknowledge that we all have biases, whether that's conscious or unconscious. And we need to be as careful as we possibly can when it comes to AI using human data, because those biases can just get exemplified to a thousandfold. And then it gets really hard to be able to understand what are the implications of this. And it can be huge, like the one you mentioned of the Australian mayor and stuff like that. Definitely. Cool. Well, actually, one more point, if I can. It seems like we are trending towards a lot of regulation and companies taking a stronger stance here. Canada is also investigating ChatGPT. France and Ireland are want to examine Italy's findings and do something about it. Germany is thinking about blocking ChatGPT. Sweden, however, decided not to ban. And so perhaps OpenAI has some argument that it can make. So despite what we think, it seems that countries want to take a lot stronger stance on tech, which I think is a much, much, much needed thing. I don't know what the word to use here. I, I think it's a very necessary step. I, I believe that our governments should do what they can to protect us. And so it sounds like this is going to be a thing in maybe not in the US, but globally for a while. And, and I hope that uh, good good action comes out of it. The last thing we want is all those horror movies becoming reality, right? Yeah, I didn't do the homework. I didn't watch many. <laughs> You're already running behind on your homework. (laughs) I know. It's been a busy. Fun fact, what's yours? So my fun fact is actually about Apple. So if you've ever noticed Apple ads on on their phones specifically, there's always a time 9.41 a.m. And there's actually a very specific reason for why it's that specific time. And it's because... 941 is the exact time Steve Jobs launched the first ever iPhone in 2007, which I think is a really cool note to 
the iPhone in general and the big revolution that iPhone really brought into the into the smartphone world. Cool. Very awesome. I forgot to get a fun fact, so I'm looking for one really quick. You pulled a bean. <laughs> I pulled a you. But I think I oh I have one. We are going absolute nostalgia these days in Hollywood. We're remaking a bunch of stuff. And the Mario movie came out a couple weeks ago and it is an absolute hit at the box office. I don't think I'm gonna watch it personally. I was I only played Mario one time and I it's a me Mario. I think he's cool, but not cool enough to watch him watch a whole movie, but kind of love what they did with looking at how the Minions movie from a couple years ago really took off and recreating that experience with, with Mario. Yeah. It's good for Nintendo and I think whoever the studio is behind it, probably Lionsgate or something. Good for Mario. <laughs> That's our show, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We want to talk about products and we're doing this to learn and express ourselves. So thanks for being here with us. We want to hear from you. Reach out to us on LinkedIn if you have any ideas. My name is Arjun Kulbergi. I'm with Aditi Patel. We would love to have you be a part of it. And let's see what's happening with this Draymond thing. It looks like he's getting suspended. We'll see how it goes. But in general, kids stomping on people is bad. Have a good week, folks. See ya. Bye.